Kia ora, I'm Karen O'Leary and this is Full Disclosure. We're going to talk to politicians, builders, actors, writers and media personalities to find out how coming out was for them. This podcast is bursting with pride to be supporting Rainbow Youth. Joining me in the Full Disclosure studio is Dean Hall. Dean is the founder and CEO of hugely successful global gaming developer Rocketworks. I joined the military before I'd fully come out to myself and fully recognised what my actual identity was. Mm. I will admit to you that, you know, obviously when I did see Rocketwork, I thought that you were going to come in and talk about going into space and that kind of stuff. Your company's more about the gaming stuff. Correct. Tell me just a little bit about that. So, uh, yeah, we're a game developer. We make PC games. You know, I've pretty much always been into to computers and gaming. And I think yep. when I first saw a computer, I, I wanted to make a video game with it. And obviously this podcast is about a diverse range of people and how they identify in terms of their sexuality. Mm-hmm. How would you identify in terms of your sexuality? It's such a good question, isn't it? And and I always usually like to break it into lots of parts. But right. I suppose for me, I always say I would identify as gay. Mm-hmm. And when I sort of solidified everything, that's how I thought about it. Yeah. But it, it was funny because I went through a bit of a path to get there. And I remember I was quite confused mm-hmm. about where I sat on it. And then I remember it was a friend of mine. He'd said, oh, honey, you know, it doesn't matter who you're sleeping with or that. It was who you fall in love with. And I think that so was true. what sort of helped solidify it for me. So in terms of that, you mean you think probably chances are you'd only ever fall in love with a man? That's right, yeah. You know, people have said if you've ever had sexual relations Mm -hmm. with someone of the opposite sex, then does that mean you're bisexual? But for me, I could certainly do that, but I would never ever fall in love with anything other than a woman. Yeah, Yeah. and it was then I kind of split it into those sort of three parts. There was this, you know, sexual identity. Who did I easily sort of identify with? And I'd say I was gay. Then there was sexual attraction, and I could occasionally be maybe attracted to Mm -hmm. a a woman and stuff like that, certainly. But it was very much the emotional side of it. It was like I'd only experienced that with a guy. That sort of helped me to unpack things a bit. And, um, well, I think it's going to help lots of people unpack things. I think mm. that was very well said. When did you first start thinking, oh, maybe I'm actually, um, maybe I'm into men? When I think back, and I do hear people say this a lot, I knew there was something different about me, but I, I didn't really have the words for it. It was maybe in high school, of all things, swimming sports. I feel like that's a very cringe <laughs> thing to admit. But probably sort of started to figure it out. And honestly, it never really bothered me that much. I, right. I yep. know a lot of people have had a lot of internal dramas, but I think I sort of just shrugged and went, oh, that's interesting. And so when you were at high school, you went openly out at high school? No, so when no. Did, when did you come out? Coming out such an ongoing process, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yes. And for me, initially, I started really sort of exploring things when I went to university. And for a start, I, I thought, oh, I must be gay. And then I got very attracted to a girl and sort of did an awkward dating. And then I was like, this isn't progressing how I would have thought it would. There were yeah. some elements of it that were fine, but there was just the emotional attachment. Something wasn't, wasn't quite right. Yeah, And, and it, it did not feel pleasant. It felt like I was sort of undoing someone's insights. You know, if you've dated someone who's not emotionally into you yeah. and is trying to be, so it was not great. That was sort of around the time you know, I first started coming out. And who did you come out to first? Did you tell your family, your friends? Were you worried about telling anyone? Uh, it was a mixture of friends and family. I guess I wasn't, I wasn't overall super worried. I joined the military before I'd fully come out to myself and fully recognised what my actual identity was. Mm. And so that was a little bit of a concern. Uh, you mean joining the military? 
No, or, no, oh, about thinking about how that was going oh, to right. affect yeah. things. Yeah. This would have been like the, the year 2000, 2001. So I didn't tell anyone on the, on the training initially. Some select family and friends I think I started with. And how did they take it? It was a big shock to the family. Was Huge it? shock. Um, so they had no idea? No idea. No idea uh, at all. Had friends who've, who've ended up with a lot of conflict over their family over mm. it. And I, I found it interesting because some of those friends had had a lot of conflict themselves. And so it's like, well, if you've had a lot of conflict, you've obviously got a bunch of stuff from society, whether yeah. it's right or not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's, it's in, internalising. There was some difficulty and confusion there, but I think it was more as they had to grow into the identity of what I actually was, not what maybe it looked like I was. And actually, a, an interesting part of the, the journey was then when I came out in the military and I was in Wellington in the Air Force and I was going to the Governor General's ball. So the Governor General holds a, holds a ball and military yeah. people go to it at Government House. I was going to go. I went to my boss's office and said, oh, you know, I'm just letting you know I'm going to be bringing a partner to the ball. And he's like, oh, you don't need to tell me. That's fine. And yeah. I'm like, it's a guy. And I remember his voice was like, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it sort of wasn't. I think it, it was a bit of a struggle for him. I was the first gay person he'd ever met um, wow. that he knew yeah, of. Yeah, of course. And I guess as well, obviously, there's the all of the stereotypes that exist around the military and potentially their um, mm-hmm. somewhat homophobic attitudes in some areas. Mm-hmm. When you did come out and you were in the Air Force, did you experience any of that? Look, it was a lot better, you would have thought, from what you hear. Mm-hmm. And, and I know everyone has different experiences, and I've had a very checkered past um, in fact, very bad past, mm. uh, particularly in New Zealand. A lot of people were you know, kicked out and charged even yeah. in the, in the yeah. military. But my experience was was overall pretty positive. Uh, my boss it really struggled with it initially. And in fact, it ended up culminating when I was sent overseas later on when I was with the mm-hmm. army. And he yeah. was the uh, he was in, in a position and he was concerned about me coming over on this uh, this deployment. And then when I ended up coming over, uh, he actually apologized to me and then explained that that was when he told me I was the first gay person he'd ever wow. uh, known to have worked with. And, yeah. and it was a bit of a, an internal struggle with him and that he'd finally wrestled with. And I really appreciated that. I thought that mm. was – so that's why, I mean, you've, sometimes you've got to give people room to grow. Absolutely. That's right. And I think if something is a shock or they weren't expecting things, you know, your first response can be a little bit of fear and a little bit of concern. And you do need to, time to let that sort of settle within who you are and what your attitudes are, I guess. There, there yeah. were some really touching moments in the military when – I could have experienced discrimination or that, and I mm. didn't. And, and I think those those kind of moments really stick with you, and you remember them. Can you give us an example of one of those? Yeah, so I went over on this exchange program, and you know, I was heading over to Singapore, and you know, Singapore at the time it's oh, changed yes. now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, having sexual relations uh, between a guy would be be very illegal, and the army had selected me to go over. And there was kerfuffle, I suppose, from mm. some people um, who'd, who'd known me say, oh, did you realise this? And the army actually turned around and said to those people who were in the Air Force, we don't care. You know, yeah. we've selected the best yeah, person for yeah. the job. And the fact that that's his sexual identity is not relevant. And, you know, he's an officer and um, he's going to serve his country. When you go over as part of the New Zealand Armed Forces, mm-hmm. do their laws, Singapore's laws, still apply to you as a person? Or are you somehow protected by New Zealand stuff? Uh, you're, you're, I suppose you're, you're sort of protected, but they'd pretty much just chuck you on a plane and send you away. Yeah, yeah. But our rules and stuff in the military are pretty strict anyway. And particularly as an officer too, you really sort of, and you know, I was representing the country. You weren't going to be frequenting the red light districts of Singapore. I was Singapore. not going to be really frequenting <laughs> the, the red light districts of Singapore, no. There you go, that's lucky. Um, and so you were in the Air Force, then the Army. 
I was a logistics officer initially, and I worked a lot in IT sort of systems and contracts and stuff like that. Then when I was in the army, I went into signals, although I left that pretty quickly, unfortunately. Uh, Sorry, uh, Dean, what, what signals? What does that mean? Oh, it's computers and communication. Makes sense considering your business, doesn't That's it? That's right. You know, yeah. genius, you're tying it all together. Now I'm just quickly going to throw in, why, what made you want to climb Mount Everest? Uh, really good question. I'd just taken a leave of absence from the army because I'd yep. had this really um, tough injury and I was waiting for it to recover. Mm-hmm. The army wouldn't upgrade my medical clearance, even though I thought it was... Oh. completely fine, so I was very frustrated, so I took a break. And I went overseas to work at this video game company in Prague, of all places, and in the Czech Republic, now called Czechia. While I was there, I released a mod, which is like where you take someone's game and you change it. Um, so I released this mod, and it became enormously popular and caused the game to enter the top sellers, even though I was like four years old, so they oh, made yeah. all this yeah. money. So they, they came to me, they bought the idea off me and, and yeah. hired me back. So from that, I got all this money. And I remember I got my first royalty check and it was five million US dollars. And I remember what? going, what am I, what is going on? Because um, this happened in the space of months, basically, not not wow. very long at all. Everything yeah. changed yeah. And, and in the space of very a short amount of time. Short amount of time. And, and so from that, I, I really sort of was like, well, what do I want to do? And you know, people were like, you should buy houses, you should buy this, buy that. And honestly, I didn't really care about any of that. And I started yeah. to think back to my younger self, Dean mm. at the swimming sports. And I realized that I was always really fascinated with mountains and space. And I realized I wanted to climb Mount Everest. It was something I, was, I always wanted to do. I want to see the drama of it. There's so much drama. It's, it's not so just, much drama, you know? It's, it's a human. The, the story of Mount Everest is a very human story. So you use some of your $5 million to get some Hiking boots, a couple of crampons. Yeah, actually, and have to get special boots that okay. are designed specifically for, for Mount Everest. Everest. Really? Yeah. Yep. And it's a Wanaka-based company run by Guy Cotter, very famous, amazing New Zealander, actually. Really cool. And yep. actually, I, I climbed Everest with Case and Crane, who mm-hmm. was the first openly gay man to climb all the seven summits. And he was only wow. 18 when he climbed Everest. You were them then? Or the- yeah, yeah was at, we just happened to be on the same expedition. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, that's, that's an amazing story. Today on Newsable, in a Stuff exclusive, the mother of baby Rue, the toddler who died late last year in Wellington, has spoken on the record and says she did not kill her son. Plus, step aside, working from home, working from holiday seems to be the new trend, and I have an update on the USA's Cicada Geddon. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. So then you've, you've started up this company, you've come back, you've, you've got a bit of money in your back pocket, obviously, mm-hmm. and you think, I'm going to start this amazing company. From what I know, there are very few openly gay CEOs in Aotearoa. Have you found that you've faced any difficulty as a result of being openly gay? Look, I, I don't think it's really caused me directly any problem at all. But then we're not a public company. But you know, I would hope that we don't live in a day and age where, yeah. Yeah. you know, I mean, Tim Cook from Apple is, yes. is gay. so. Yeah. I can't suggest that it's caused me any trouble there. But I do think that, you know, it's definitely caused me a lot of life troubles, as I, as I think it, it does for everyone. But, but yeah, I think from the CEO, CEO perspective, it's been it's fine. Been like, yeah. Sometimes it's, a, it's actually a benefit because it's caused me to have to question a lot of, you know, a lot of where I sat. And that, that definitely happened in the military. A lot of my military friends, all their friends were in the military. Their whole life was in the military. But for me, I always had this community, you know, this whanau who was outside of the military, my gay friends. And and I'd go out clubbing and stuff like that. And so I always had this 
this view into another into mm. another world as well that was making me sometimes question things. But also maybe it was helping you understand things and, and appreciate and celebrate diversity a bit more? Definitely. Maybe. So were there any other openly gay people in the military when you were in there that you knew of? Yeah, there was a couple. A guy a bit older than me who I ended up meeting at a club and um, I was like, oh, what are you doing here? And he was like, what do you think? Yeah, I was always yeah, so naive thing you about are. it. Yeah, 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 same thing you are. Then there was a colleague of mine when I was in the army as well. By the time I got back into the army, it was actually much more normalised. Right. There was a few people who told me I was I was one of the first openly gay Air Force officers. A little hard to verify that. Um, going back to your, your corporate role, what would you say to other people that are working in the corporate world or even in the armed, or actually even the armed forces as well, who might be hiding their sexuality? Any well, advice you'd give to them? Well, I do think it's a really personal mm. thing about coming out and it's not something that happens once. It's, yeah. it's a process that you decide. Sometimes you decide, is it worth it having this conversation? Sometimes yeah. it can be a, a safety issue. And I think it's really easy to feel some you know, societal pressure to come out or how to come out. Mm. I remember I told my parents through the phone, which I think was a very bad idea because I then followed it up with an ultimatum. I told them on the yeah. phone just before they were coming to Wellington to yeah. see me and I was like, and you can only see me if you're going to meet my boyfriend. So there was a lot to throw on to people wow. uh, who you know, had completely no idea. Did they come and meet your boyfriend then when they came to Wellington? Um, no, it was rocky right. for a start. Yeah. It was really tough because it was just so unexpected, I think, for yeah. me. And I was so sure about it. And I think that's what it's really easy to, to miss is sometimes how people express their sexuality is super different. And mm. in my case... I was, it probably really much seemed like I was into girls. I was a very yeah. sexual guy. Yeah, and so, yeah. but I was like trying this stuff and it wasn't really working. It wasn't yeah. like I wasn't having fun. Yeah, it's yeah. just, <laughs> I wasn't developing any emotional attachment yeah. and I wasn't liking that. You know, so it might've looked like, oh yeah, you know, Dean's it's, just yes. happy go lucky, yeah. but it was actually like, actually this isn't really mm. how, I, how I want to live my life. It was a big, big struggle for a start. So what helped resolve that struggle with your parents? You know, I was firm about who I was yep. and that it wasn't my boyfriend that was convincing me. Uh, and he did, did end up meeting my parents. Um, we didn't stay together, but we're still good friends. I think I had to, you know, stand stand my ground with it. But, but being mm. that kind of firm, friendly fear, you know, yeah. I was like, hey, this is my ground rules and gave them some time to adjust to it. And really, that's been kind of my strategy overall. Mm. Oh, that sounds like a very good strategy. And you seem like quite a strategic kind of person. I think that you would know? be a good summary. Considering you've got that penthouse, you've climbed the big, tall mountain, Mount Everest. Um, you've achieved quite a lot in your life, so I'd say full credit to you. What is your view on the stigma that still exists around queer and bisexual people in Aotearoa? Like, do you think it, we are shifting in the right direction? Obviously, when I was coming out in the 90s, you sort of more in the 2000s, compared to today, I do think there definitely is a shift in terms of people appreciating and accepting and being more open-minded. But we, there still is a, a large section of people that have got a real issue, a real bee in their bonnet about who we want to be in love with. I think the change comes in the most unusual places. And I remember I was going, I'm going to be vague about some details to hide identities, but right. I was going away on a, a, a deployment with the army and the liaison person I had to deal with was a senior enlisted member and he was responsible for looking after uh, my arrangements and stuff like that. And he was a very army guy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. big, burly. Yeah, typical, stereotypical uh, army. Very, yeah. very stereotypical. Yeah. Mustache, yeah. the whole yeah. the whole gambit. Um, very, like, <laughs> macho guy in that. And I was like, ooh, um, okay, <laughs> well, we'll see how this goes. Because yeah. I'm a bit odd, but we'll see how this goes. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure what he'd heard in advance. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of people. And I remember after we got everything all sorted, 
you know, he had sort of asked me sometimes these questions and I was like, that was, that was a bit strange. And then I remember he wanted me to go out and have a drink with him. And I'm not a drinker. I hardly ever drink really at all. And so I was like, okay. So we went out and we had a few drinks. And then he finally asked me, he was like, are you gay? And I was like, yes. And he was just, I think he was, he was just so shocked that I would say that I was gay. For starters, I just see it in his face. He wasn't repulsed or anything. He was just shocked that I was so comfortable with it. And he paused for... 10 minutes or something, yeah, yeah. but it probably wasn't that long. And then he um, he started explaining to me that he had a very young son of his mm. who he just loved more than anything in the world yeah. and that he thought his son might be gay. Wow. And he ended up telling me that meeting me made him think that it was going to be okay for his oh. son. I hadn't met his son, but I knew his son was like four. I remember thinking to myself, there's no way you can yeah. tell at that age. But but I saw his son and I did admit I could see sort of where he was coming from. I did learn that it ended up being his son was gay. And I can remember the feeling in mm. him. And I remember I had actually judged him in advance completely. And I'd got it completely wrong. That is that thing, isn't it? Often, you know, when people do have fear around something, it's just because they don't they haven't experienced it yet, you know. Mm. So, it's, again, it's like when I, you know, I had ex-partners who I was their first female partner and, you know, they had sort of older dads who were initially very shocked and horrified. But once you get to meet me and realise there's nothing that freaky and I'm really good at putting together a kitsap barbecue, then, you know, it just makes you more sort of, you're all okay, isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, I think I, I like how, how you put it. Like, yeah. honestly, a little bit of humour can sometimes be disarming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's often how I've approached it. I yeah. think when you come out, People take their cue for you in all but the most intimate of relationships. Mm. I think with uh, with parents, with family, with whanau, that's a little different. They're not going to necessarily take their cue from you. If you're just dealing with a sort of a random person or someone at work, nearly always, even if they've got a problem with it, they're generally taking their cue from you. And if you're Absolutely. sort of passing it off with a, it, with yes. a little joke. Yeah, it's so true. And I think you're, you're so right. If you come in very defensive and quite mm-hmm. sort of and almost aggro in your approach, then the chances are just going to put people, they're just going to get their backs up, you know, so well, full credit. Would there be any advice you'd give to the younger Dean Hall about coming out or, or being yourself? Any advice you'd give yourself? I'll give some advice, but, uh, but it would be caveated. So I came out and then came in or what's the opposite of it? Repacked or yeah, something yeah. a little bit. So as a game developer for a long time, I didn't really make it very public. It wasn't right. that I was yeah. hiding it. But it was that I didn't want to be a gay game developer. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want that to be what I was Your defining knowing. characteristic. Exactly. Mm. You know, I, I felt like being gay was one of the least interesting yep. things about me. Yeah. Not that being gay wasn't important and a huge part of my yep. identity, but we're so much more than Absolutely. our, uh, you know, who we're sleeping with or yes. who we're falling in love with. But I think I had that a little bit wrong. I think I didn't realise the importance of visibility. And it was conversations like with that army guy and his son that made me realise still today there's children out there who are taking their own lives over this. And and so I felt that visibility was really important. Mm. So I suppose my advice would be knowing when that right and safe moment is to come out. And then I, I wish I'd had the courage to do that a bit earlier and say, okay, well, maybe this will, it's not that it's going to hurt my career, but it it might define it a little bit. Maybe there would be a small price to pay for some kids to know that it's okay. Absolutely. Fantastic advice. I'm taking it on board myself. Um, I just want to thank you again so much for coming in, for generously giving us your time, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. This was Full Disclosure. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is created by Kate Langdon and produced by Kate Langdon and Mark E. Hire. 
with audio mixed by Jess Valor and original music by Eilish Wilson. to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead the long read from stuff is the podcast for you each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime sport history culture and more you also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account on rising child abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's attack line there. It would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what we're we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.